Who is it? Yeah. You're listening to the Claim of Thrones Lodgecast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2016. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Welcome back to the Claim of Thrones Lodgecast. Thanks for tuning in for episode 56. I'm Cabba, and we're here with me, mate Ash. Hello, How goes hello. It? Let's cut the crap and get straight into <laughs> a awesome interview we have today. Super lucky to be with a member of one of the biggest bands going around the Aussie metal scenes at the moment. They got a brand new album out and they've been on the road for the last few months. Uh, they're hitting Perth this Saturday, the 6th of August at the Rosemount Hotel, which we'll be plugging over the next 20, 30 minutes or so. Stephen Merry from Bellacore. How are you going? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, good. Thanks, guys. No, it's, uh, it's good to chat. Good stuff. How is uh, everything going with the vessels so far? The uh, reception and reactions of everyone's been pretty positive from what it looks like. It has been. It's been... Um, I always get flat when we release an album because, you know, you work on it for so long and then um, you build it up and then it comes out and there's this kind of... So it's been a bit of a, you know, the usual thing where you have that little lull um, after it's out. <laughs> um, but no, look, it's been good. I think we're all happy with the album and most of our fans seem to like it. There's a few who are a little bit, because it's a little bit different, I guess. It's not like mm. in, in, in some crazy new direction, really, but it's different enough that some fans are a bit maybe surprised by it. But no, mostly a positive review so far. Yeah. yeah. No, it is different too. Like um, it's hard to think how bands can develop over the course of a few albums and, and where they go. And, you know, like let's say if you're Cannibal Corpse, you sort of do the same thing for 20 years and just get good at that. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, other bands like Opeth maybe go a bit too far, one would say, in some directions. And, yeah, you guys have managed to sort of, like, progress without, um, yeah, steering too far from what you do, but still getting some new terrain out there. Yeah, I think there's only probably, I can only think of, you know, very few bands that succeed in walking that fine line you spoke of, like Enslaved is a band that I think is has progressed a number of times and changed quite a bit and maintained a really strong following and haven't really annoyed too many of their fans. But yeah, like it's hard. It's because um, you, you would get bored and people would get bored. Like I find a modern Mark to be a band that probably haven't changed enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those ones that's always challenging. Mm. And was that like deliberate for you guys? Yeah, it was, I think like of breath and bone for me was an album I liked, but I was a, probably wouldn't have been wanting to do another one just like that. So I was ready to do something different. So um, definitely was deliberate, but it's, it's interesting how you can't, even if you try, it's hard to change <laughs> that much. It's hard to break away from the sort of things that come naturally. So, yeah, it was. It took some sort of um, probably some influences from Julian who we recorded with to sort of say, hey, here's some other sounds you can try and stuff as well, which was really good. Mm. So is, was he in like a producer role? In that respect, um, yeah, a little bit more, bit more than we'd ever had before. Um, on our other albums, we were kind of always a bit, you know, don't tell us anything. We don't want to know. We want, we just want to do what we want to do. Um, so this time, we we decided to have his input more because we wanted to help us change a little bit, mainly in terms of what sort of sounds we use, like guitar effects, a lot more synth sounds that I I hadn't used before. Mm-hmm. Things that would help, not in terms of song structures. We'd already had the songs written. But mainly in terms of the sound we use. Huh. And so something, and this is a total nerd question coming from me, is um, what do you use in the studio in terms of synths? Like, do you go in there with a, you probably can't see it from where you are, but there's like a Casio 
uh, Casio, what is it? Korg Digital Piano next to me. And yep. Jesse's got a, um, a Roland Juno and she'll just sort of like pick a few sounds from those things, but she's not too aware of MIDI and um, extra synths, external racks and all that kind of business. Like, are you into that side of things? I wasn't until this album. So on previous albums, I literally brought my keyboard in, which is a, an old Roland uh, XP30, which is probably 15 years old. And I had my string sound and my piano sound, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't change. Like literally, if Breath and Bone has, I think, two or three different sound, synth sound on it for the whole album. Wow. Um, and then this album, Julian had access in the studio to a whole bunch of um, virtual instruments and like, you know, plugins. Um, Absinthe was one I really fell in love with. Mm -hmm. So I, since this album, I'm, you know, I'm using Reaper a lot at home and a lot of um, a lot of different virtual instruments. So on the next album and beyond, you know, I'll be using a lot more because I'm really enjoying it. But up until this album, it had just been sort of two really basic, a piano and a string sound, that was it. So from the XP, like the piano uh, yeah. sound? Yeah, exactly. Previously, it was always off that keyboard. Huh. Um, whatever sounds were on the keyboard. Um, whereas this time, it's a, it's a, lot, a lot of MIDI, yeah. um, empowering whatever plugins we can come across. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Because we, on our last album, we changed from the sounds straight off the keyboard to, um, oh shit, some plugin pack that has a piano and then a bunch of orchestral sounds and we just put like a quartet together or put yeah. a, a whole 60-piece uh, orchestra, but it's you just one key and it's yeah. all the different, <laughs> you know, sections, which is pretty cool. But yeah, we, I don't know, maybe it is handy to have someone like that to steer you because like, I don't know how we're going to break out of this. Well, as someone who's doing the track, well, you know, performing or the tracking, I like to have someone giving me a bit of direction, you know, not, not telling telling me how it has to be done or whatever but definitely um suggestions throughout the way or just a guide to keep you on on course i think it's pretty helpful i think it's important because otherwise you don't learn and, and i didn't realize this but yeah it's helped us to learn some things that we wouldn't have learned like you know if you keep doing the same thing again and again it's um you won't be shown other things that you can expand so it's been good so it's probably just for even for fun as a hobby now for writing music at home that won't be used for bellicor but um just using other sounds and having fun in a way that I previously wouldn't have done. So it's been good. Cool. And you had someone different doing the mastering again, didn't you? Yeah, mastering this time we went with uh, Sterling Sound in New York. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, mastering is one, one of those parts that we, it's like the thing that you never really fully understand from our perspective. Like, you know, we talk, we talk to Julian who's mixed, mixed the album and he'll be like, don't go there, go here or go there, but don't go there. And to us, we don't know how much of that is. It's kind of beyond us a little bit. And he'll be like, oh, trust me. And I don't know. And then, you know, we got back the initial master from Sterling and it was the first time we'd ever had to actually send it back and get some changes made on a master, which wow. we'd never you know, we'd never had that before. So it's one of the hard things. I don't know. It's hard because you have to trust other people to make decisions for you. Whereas when you're writing a song, you know what you're doing. But then it, when it gets to these technical things that you have no understanding of, so you sort of say, okay, I hope you do a good job. Yeah. So it's a uh, hard thing, yeah. Yeah. You're sort of throwing this money over to them and not really even knowing what they're doing and not being able to see them work or anything and just waiting for something to come back and hope that it's going to sound awesome. Yeah, and we've probably just started to understand some of the parts of mastering and then you, you read things online about uh, dynamic range and we went into this wanting an album that did have really good dynamic range and it turns out 
its number is DR6, which is not very good at all. <laughs> right? So we've annoyed some of our fans, I think, because they we've done, gone and released Stone's Reach and Brick and Bone vinyl masters, remasters that have a really high demonic range. Yep. So they're like, why haven't you released the vessels, the album with a similar master? Um, it's just one of those things where it's really hard to please everyone, and we don't really we don't we just want to kind of make it good, but you have to trust other people to do that for you. So it's quite hard. Yeah, and I got to say that I was blown away by the difference between the Stones Reach vinyl master and the original CD master I've got. In um, yeah, I couldn't put my finger on it, exactly what it was, but. Like I, you know, vaguely get the idea of mastering for vinyl where you need more dynamic range and you can't push the bass too much and nothing can be too extremely processed. Um, and yeah, there was just, it was like hearing it a whole new way. And I got to say with, um, with Vessels, it is a lot more sort of open sounding straight off the cuff mm. um, in CD form anyway than the other ones. It's definitely got a whole new sound. For me, Stone's Reach, I agree. Like the the vinyl remaster sounds almost a bit like a remix. There's, there's um, mm. I thought mastering would basically the vinyl master. You know, if you look at the waveform, rather than it being just a brick that's compressed, the vinyl master would be. You'd see more of the peaks and um, you know, there's more space visually on the wave as well. But the sound is not just more dynamic. There's more treble and there's more the snares louder and it's just Mm. Sounds a bit different mix, yeah. um, and then vessels. The mix, I think, was quite. We, we intended to always have it feel more open, um, so the mix I think achieved that. And you know, on headphones, there's more sort of clarity of where things sit um, on headphones for vessels. But then I think the master might have been a bit louder than we would have liked. So mm. it's one where it's a bit hard to get. You know, you never, never quite know what you'll get till it's finished. So yeah. yeah. And is that what you sent back? originally just for more dynamic range yeah we, when we first got back from them actually had a little bit of clipping and we oh. didn't like you know actual kind of audible clipping which really? we really right, yeah because we had asked for a, you know a fairly dynamic master so we sent it back again and got it back um and it is still quite a loud master i think compared to some other things out there it's about normal but we probably imagined it would be a little bit under that yeah. so um yeah i was really surprised by that yeah what do you think about that for stuff. us? Yeah, well, I don't know. It, it's it's funny the timing of getting to chat with you because we're sort of going through all of this at the moment as well. So yeah, I don't know. Definitely things to think about and yeah, yeah, things you would never normally think about until you you know you're in that position. It's interesting. Where did you guys do you guys normally take your your stuff to the same sort of mastering company or? <laughs> yeah, we, the last three have. Yeah, it's been the same person who's. Yeah, recorded yeah. it. Who does also does the mixing and the mastering? Mm. Um, you happy with the results? Yeah, it's hard to say, really. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a huge nerd in that regards, and probably wouldn't tell the difference. But I always expect it to be a lot louder, and I would always ask for it to be a bit louder, I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we we really went for that open, uh, organic sound for the last album, and it just all fell to shit because I tracked it. And um, I was doing all the reading into everything. And then, yeah, every time I'd show Cabba, he's like, it needs to sound heavier and it <laughs> needs to be louder. And then this one, um, yeah, we really went for it by picking a studio for the drums to, you know, have room mics and 
the same guy, um, Al Smith, he's he's a local guy here, but he's done extortion and a bunch of other stuff um, that's got some some recognition. Um, yeah, he's always said to us, you know, like, oh, don't get crazy on the room mics because you guys have a lot of blast beats and double kicks. It doesn't really work in context with you guys. Um, anyway, but this time we sort of compromised and have that ability to drop that stuff in and out. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it works in a metal context without having someone there with you from the get-go, kind of um, maybe how you guys had it. Because yeah. we're left to our own devices, so <laughs> I don't know. You're, what doing, you're doing sort of a lot of that, obviously, at home, the recording guitars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. We've done all the tracking between this house here and Cabba's house. And um, except for the drums we did at a studio. And then we'll mix it ourselves unless it sounds like shit and then we'll you know probably most likely master it with someone but yeah maybe have an actual plan like you had going in like what we want out of it because usually we just give it to al we trust that he gives us what we want and that's it i think if you find someone who does it for you that does it well it's um that's half the battle like if they get what you're trying to do Mm. uh you don't understand everything like if, if they've given you a good product then that's that's a good place to be yeah no we do trust him how about with writing and stuff do you you said you do some stuff at home on your own like do you have a little setup especially with keys being a little bit um unconventional writing metal on keyboards um how do you go about that um i yeah in the past sort of year or probably six months or a year i've bought some stuff for home and up until then all i had was just a laptop with a very very old Old, like out of date sort of program called Modplug Tracker, which is like eight bit, sixteen bit, like oh. really old school, like sort of <laughs> they used for Nintendo soundtracks. Um, so most of Bellacore's music that I wrote was on that old software. Um, so then lately it's been more like using Reaper, but I haven't started to use Reaper for the band stuff yet. It's just kind of for other piano stuff or atmospheric music. Um, so I don't yet know for the next album whether I'll use the old school thing, which is ridiculous because then when I sort of make the, the click tracks for the, the songs on that and I bring these waves into the studio, which are the click tracks that we record the album to, but because they come from this archaic sort of software, um, let's say on my software it says the BPM at the start of the song is 125. You bring it into the Pro Tools and it's actually 125.36851. <laughs> It's not. None of the BPMs are our real BPM. Okay. So we spent like three days trying to map the grid in Pro Tools to the click tracks, but none of them were normal BPMs. They're all these weird decimals. Um, so it causes a lot of problems, which yes. we probably will avoid next time, I think. But um, yeah, I, I definitely like writing on computer and keyboard because mm-hmm. it lets us do things that, you know, like I would write a riff on a computer that I wouldn't be able to write on a piano, for example. Um, so yeah, I think it's good in that way. So do you sort of capture your ideas like that and sort of email it around to all the guys or something like that, or do you sort of have it all there and then you get to the jam studio and practice them, or does a couple of you get together and piece songs together, or how does that sort of go from there? Probably a bit of all three. Yeah. Uh, like you know, years back, I would I would give a CD to the guys that had forty different things on it, and a month later when we meet up, everyone's got their favourites or whatever, and then you'd start to work with them. Um, and yeah, email, whatever. It's a bit of everything. And then George writes a lot himself as well. So he'll send things to me 
there are like little recordings of him on guitar and then um, we'll kind of start putting them into songs at that point. Yeah. So would you sort of write an entire song yourself and then take it from there or just parts each and then blend them together? Yeah, I think the only time, like I wrote all of Paths, which is just all piano, and George wrote almost all of Husks with Sean, which is a, just a guitar thing. But yeah, mostly it's parts of songs. Um, one riff up to about three riffs. Like you might write a series of three riffs that join yep. and then you'd be like, all right, I need a verse or I need the next thing and then vice versa. So. Cool. So is this before you would even ever try and jam it together, for example? The whole song's written that way? It used to be that we rehearsed as a band every week, twice a week, um, in a room. And so like songs would be written always in the, together. Yeah. Um, and you'd jam things and you'd work out straight away if they were going to work or not. But then George, um, he moved to Canberra like four years ago uh, for work. So he, you know, Sean had a couple of kids. So everything changes. Um, so then writing a song had to be a bit more on a computer and then let's share things and talk and then finally we'd play them. But that actually made it a lot harder when we recorded because I had sort of pictured riffs a certain way. George had pictured them a different way, Sean a different way. You start to record it. And that's when you start doing like pre-production almost, whereas that would all traditionally have been done a year you know, prior as a band. So it was a much longer process because you had to work everything out almost from scratch in terms of what instruments to use and stuff. Cool. It was a quite simple process. <laughs> so you actually finished writing and recording it a fair while ago now before it came out. Like how long was the gap between finishing recording and the release? The gap between finishing recording and release was very small. Um, it was really rushed at the end. Yeah. You sort of had to give the, you know, we had to give Napalm a date that we would have it to them. Yep. And they they had three months onto that for the to tee up everything, and that and that would be when it was released. So month before we finished it, we had a deadline we had to meet basically. Um, so there was that little three month gap, which is them teeing up promo and stuff. But um. It took about a year and a half to record the album, which was ridiculous. Because um, <laughs> we normally record it, like the other two were recorded in two months at the most each. And that wasn't like full time for two months. There was a good month of hard work most days in the studio. Yeah. And you've been So we thought we'd do it like that this time. But after two months, we were barely, we were less, way less than halfway. Yeah. And then we had to start doing it on weekends and evenings and stuff. Because um, everyone had used up their leave and everything. So. That all sounds yeah. way too familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Got to love yeah. it. Um, yeah, congratulations on the Napalm Records thing, which uh, yeah, New Album Vessels is obviously out on, which is really cool. Can we ask how that was all teed up? Like, uh, did you have to sort of apply to them or did they just hear about you guys on the grapevine and scouted you? Well, um, when we when we had the Frau Tide out, just out like 10 years ago, we sent the CD to about 30 different labels and didn't hear anything back from any of them. It was just nothing at all. So then we kind of just gave up on labels for a while. But um, yeah, I think probably a year ago, Napalm emailed us and said, oh, you know, what are you doing for your next album? Do you have a label for your next album? Because we were with Colony, but Colony was always a little bit of a, just a licensing thing where we would just let them print the album and um, release it in Europe and we would do the same and it wasn't sort of exclusive. Um, so yeah, we, we talked for quite a while with Napalm, like, a few times over months back and forth and eventually decided to go go with it so it was good it's been i think it's kept us busy because they certainly have um they had sort of a plan to promote the album we had to meet 
interview schedules and stuff like that for them. So okay. it's kept us pretty good. No, it's been good. Yeah, awesome. Um, and I guess that'll help with touring and whatnot again. Um, you guys have obviously done uh, Summer Breeze a couple of times in the past. Um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully more stuff like that in the works, I take it. Probably, but what we're realising is that we, um, you know, we need to balance what we can actually do. And we, we can't do what Neo's doing, for example. Um, we don't really want to slash can't in terms of going and touring for months. So... Being on a label, I think the single biggest thing that they would do is open up really great touring possibilities for you as a band. So in some ways, we're not really placed to take full advantage of what that could do, maybe, because we're, we're fairly busy. So there'll be some touring, but it won't be heaps. It won't be kind of go on tour for a month or two or anything like that. It'll just be a shorter term thing again, I'd say, like it has been in the past. Is that, again, balanced around your working life, you know, and personal lives? Yes, it is. Family... Um, just, it's just, I think, you know, to do what Neo did is basically you just quit your jobs. Um, and I just don't, we don't really see ourselves doing that. Um, so we'd rather try to do it in a way where it can be fun and a shorter tour and come back. Not to say Neo's not having fun, but we, we just can't quite make it work. I don't think so. Hmm. Um, it'll just be a matter of doing it where it works and, and seeing what we can do, but not kind of making it the thing that you drop everything else for. Um, Maybe if we were sort of 22, that we would do that. But, you know, once you get to, I don't know how old you guys are, but we're all sort of 30-ish, 32. Mm. So. Yeah, we're the same. Yeah. Yeah, so, so it was like 10 years ago. That'd, that'd be the best thing ever, I guess. You know, like 200 shows a year or whatever it might be. That'd be pretty awesome, but definitely hard when um, yeah, everyone's committed to, to things. Uh, that being said, I mean, yeah, obviously now we're doing pretty uh, raking it in on, on their Patreon campaign. So I guess if you're getting a bit of coin in that definitely helps uh, but true. still you know being away from from your families and, and whatnot all the time can't be easy yeah i suppose everyone's different like we've always been um a band that prefers to write music so gigs are fun but this australian tour has been six shows and we're really ready for a break like <laughs> it, you know we're not, we don't have a, a very big stamina for uh, long tours, I don't think, compared oh, to some bands. Oh, so. But you're doing a lot of flying around Australia, I think, is the difference. When you're you know, maybe doing a big run in the US, like Neo are doing now, you're sort of on a bus or, or whatever it might be, and you don't have to pack up and go to the airport and check in and then get off the plane and then find another van and then go and then go home and then fly back again. That's pretty... Describe, Aussie well, touring is hectic, I reckon. Yeah, Aussie touring takes it out of you for sure, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you are over in Perth uh, this Saturday, which we're all very pumped for, especially me and Ash, big fanboys. And, uh, yeah, so that's this Saturday, 6th of August, at the Rosemount Hotel uh, with Earthrot, Wrath of Fenrir, Remission, I believe. Um, get tickets now at the Bellacore website, chuck it in Google or on Facebook. Uh, anything else that you're excited about with Perth? I guess you've only been over the one time, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we are very keen because it's only been the one time. It has been a probably more than two years. Yeah. So, um, and that last gig was really great. Like we were, we'd never been there obviously and didn't know what to expect. But I think from in that last tour, Perth was the second best show of the tour. Like in terms of crowd and just reception, it was really great. So mm -hmm. very much looking forward to getting back there this, uh, this weekend. Killer. And it sounds like all the other shows have been really huge as well. Successful been for you good. guys so far. Yeah, it's been really good. I think, um, Evolution Touring have been fantastic. Like they promoted the tour really strongly and just are very good communicating sort of back and forth whenever there was a question. So that helped to make it a really good tour.
Cool. And uh, the the fans in Perth, what can they expect to hear? Like a bit off every every CD. Uh, yeah, maybe there'll be one album that doesn't get a run. Um, <laughs> and, um uh, it's um most of the most of the albums will be covered definitely for sure. And uh, yeah, for for people that don't have a copy of Vessels yet, how do they get it? Have you got it in uh, I guess digital and physical and and everything? Yeah, it's everywhere that you'd expect it to be, except actually it's not yet on Bandcamp, so that'll be fixed up soon. But um, yeah, all the other places, physical and digital, it's um, available. So yeah, and obviously at the gigs as well. Wicked. What have you found has been more popular in terms of um, pre-orders and stuff? Like, are more people getting digital copies now than the physical ones? We actually, that's one of the things with being on a label is you don't have as, as much immediate access to like seeing how sales are going. Sure. So we've had some info from them, like what's been how the sales are going, but actually not much yet on digital. So as if we don't know how it's tracking digital, but we do, I mean, digital is very popular these days, definitely. Um, iTunes seems to still be going fairly strongly, I think. Um, but vinyl, I was surprised to see how much the vinyl sold compared to CD. Yeah. Um, I, I probably had expected that vinyl was still a bit more niche, but it's almost, not quite, but almost 50-50. If you broke the sales down, to would be, Almost half of our vinyl and half a CD, which is really surprising. Wow. Uh, wow. So, vinyl really, I think, continuing to c- come back in terms of popularity. Yeah, that's really cool. One or two quick ones for you. Wicked. Um, Spot quiz. How did you choose the album art? Because it's been a, you know, you guys have always had sort of, um, I don't even know how you call them, drawn pictures, composed pictures, or whatever. And now you've got like what appears to be a photograph. Yep. How did you decide on that? Like it's a big departure in terms of style. We've had the same, all four album covers. Basically, we just get on the internet and we look, we spend a lot of time basically looking for art that we like. Um, we usually use a website called DeviantArt. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think a breath and bone wasn't, that was an old painting, a hundred year old painting that we found online that we liked. And um, the reason we like to do that is because if you see something you like, you can sort of see straight away what it is and there's no mystery to it, like it, you like it or you don't like it. Whereas if you have an idea in your head and you try to describe that to an artist, often you get back something that maybe isn't quite what you pictured. So yeah, we've always picked something that is a real piece of art that we really like. So Stone's Reach was a photograph of a statue in Italy. Um, Breath and Bone was a, a painting from 100 years old, 100 years ago that we liked. Foul Tide was a photo of a bath in... Budapest, I think it was. Um, yeah, and um, this one is a photograph that it was on DeviantArt. That a, it's like a, it's a tribal type thing, but it, I think it was set up to look that way. It's not a real tribal ceremony. But um, we just emailed the person and said, look, we really like it. Would you be happy to let us use it? And they, I think there was a small cost, but not a crazy amount. Stones Reach we were able to use for free, um, that photograph. Um, so it's, it's a really good way of doing it for us. It's, we like that approach. There you go. Yeah, because awesome. we've just been through a hectic thing where the guy we were going to get to do art for us um, was too busy and couldn't get it in our time frame. And um, yeah, we, we ended up getting someone. I think he's on DeviantArt, this guy. Most people are these days, I guess. Yeah, and he, he'd done some other bands in Australia that we'd actually never heard of before. But yeah, we gave him an idea and then he we went back and forth with him a few times and we've done that every album every album yeah we've sort of written up a little brief and sent it to whoever's doing the art and it's normally pretty amazing how they pull off what we're asking for 
So that's a really cool thing. But we've also, yeah, thrown the ideas around of finding something that we already like and, you know, you know whether you like it or not. Like yeah, you yeah. say. I suppose you get the um, the flip side is if you, I mean, you can get something back that can surprise you in a good way or yep. it's an artist doing something that can be like, wow, I didn't ever imagine it being so cool or whatever. So. Totally, yeah. And if it that's doesn't work out, you can chuck it on a shirt or something. Yeah, no, that's that's right. Exactly right. So um, when's your album due out? <laughs> Two weeks time. Yeah. And then it's delayed heavily. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't know you just yet. And um, yeah, whenever we finish, well, hopefully it'll be, you know, ready and listenable over the next month or two. I don't know. Ask Ash. But uh, but then we've got the, the task of trying to peer pressure labels into helping us release it as well. So it sort of depends on how we whether we have any luck in, in that regard and whether they need certain time frames or whatever. Otherwise, I don't know, we'll just chuck it out when we're ready, but probably like start of next year. And do you guys use Reaper? Reaper? Cabba does. I do for demoing. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much that's it. The, so. um, I saw on Instagram, I think, a photo of a Reaper screenshot um, oh, yeah. from you guys. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. Ash got me on it. Did you get me into Reaper? Mm. You certainly did. And he also got me into Stephen Slate drums. Uh, so it just makes it really easy for, for capturing riff ideas and sort of bringing them to life a bit before you present them to other band members, yeah. which, uh, yeah, it used to be you just play it to them and they're like, eh, that sounds shit. But when you can sort of structure it a bit, um, yeah, then, then it really helps and you can email it around or, or whatever. And, um, yeah. we normally try and, well, we've started trying to tab guitar tab the songs as we go as well. Um, cause yeah, it sort of gets to the point like six months down the track and, you're finally ready to start playing this song and you can't really remember how to play it. And, yeah. But if you've got the demo and the tab, it, I don't know, you get the, you can listen to the demo for the effect and listen to, and listen to the tab for clarity, I guess, which is cool. That's a good way of doing it, actually. That's mm. a really good way. We don't, we don't um, tab much of what we do. So, and I wish yeah. we had. So, no, it's good. And it's also something, I guess, that you can give away in your um, digital downloads or whatever, free tabs with, with downloads or what I think Neo have done, they've print all the PDFs into a music book or something like that yeah. now yeah. we wanted to for a while but because we hadn't done the tab at the time the, the task of going back to make every tab was just, oh it's not worth it yeah <laughs> we have the problem where we've always got fill-in people for gigs as well like a fill-in bass player for most shows <laughs> nah. um but then yeah if, if you've got a tab you can just send it to them and they rock up and jam and they already know the songs which is awesome but if you don't you sort of have to have those few little shred fest jams where you have to teach them riff by riff and yeah, yeah. it just makes life easier it's good absolutely yeah what reaper's great but mm. um i only don't use it because i've just had pro tools for years and i'm so used to it but i use reaper as like a supplement for you know if cabra and i are sharing files occasionally or um for things like the podcast like if i'm in a pinch i'll use my laptop and reaper um if yeah. i'm not at home and yeah, it's pretty amazing. I've got a friend who lives in Bremer Bay, which is six hours south of Perth, and he's made full albums and EPs and everything recorded, mixed and mastered on Reaper, and it's better than anything I can do. It's, yeah, it's it's awesome. And the functionality, and if you really know your stuff, which I don't, you can, I think you can write code into it and stuff like that. And It's like open source, isn't it, almost? Yeah, Not yeah. Quite. 11 megabytes or something like that and if if you buy it um 60 bucks it's you can't get much better than that and you can use all the vsts it's got midi um all the routing in it It works Mm. works with any audio interface 
I see a lot of people using Reaper because it is lightweight and yeah, they can really hack it if they want to. And yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah, I like it, but I'm, I'd be clueless when it comes to the, um, like you said, the other stuff you can do with it if you, if you know what you're doing. I'd be clueless with that. But no, it seems to do the job um, quite well. Oh, yeah. You'll be recording the next album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the producer and just take it up myself and make the worst album we've ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, if we can go out on a Bellacore song from the new album, that would be awesome. Is, uh, is that possible? And what that... do you recommend? Would you be allowed to do that? Or maybe not. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah, What's the, for sure. What's the best song written um, by you? Uh, <laughs> the one, one with a little piano intro, track three or four oh, or something. Okay. Roots to Sever, yeah. Um, yeah, why don't you go with Roots to Sever? Why not? Sweet as. Ripper, thanks heaps for joining us, man. We're, um, we're loving the new album big time and really pumped to see you uh, in Perth. Uh, again, that's next weekend, Saturday, 6th of August uh, at the Rosemount Hotel. Get down. It's going to be real good. Buy heaps of merch and kiss Stephen Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just uh, shout out some Instagram, Facebook stuff for Bellacore? Um, I suppose the best place if anyone does want to look is just bellacoreband.com and that'll take them anywhere and everywhere um, that they want to go. Good shit. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks, mate. Later. <laughs> awesome, brother.
Control.